like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. As we were, uh, we were driving in today, we, we counted on our fingers and, and had to use our feet to, to realize that we've probably played, we have played this particular venue more than any other place we've ever played. We've played like six Halloweens, two day before. Uh, I still wake up and have these visions of Mike McCready in that village people outfit and makes me... I wake up on a sweaty pillow and dripping sheets just going, no! And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Fucking Cameron in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast today's episode we are heading to the riot act era going to 2003 taking a patreon request to go to mountain view california and that'll be the first talking point we'll talk a little bit about shoreline amphitheater there's going to be some interesting things that we get to talk about before we get to talk about the show about shoreline amphitheater and pearl jam obviously the bridge school shows they've done a ton of bridge school shows almost as much as neil young so let's just get right into talking about that stuff. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar there. Hello. Hey, so I'm going to start off the episode by doing a trivia question. And I, I, I guess this should be easy, but what venue has Pearl Jam played more than any other venue in the, not just the United States, but uh, in on planet Earth? Well, before I listened to the show, I would have said, you know, maybe the Garden or Key Arena or somewhere in Chicago, but we know now that it is the Shoreline Amphitheater in Mountain View, California. Now, can you tell me how many shows that they've played at Shoreline Amphitheater? Ooh, uh, 
there's what 17 or well, we, we're not counting ed solo we're not counting so, ed solo as far as i know i'm going yeah. off of dave life org's numbers here i'm gonna say 20 21 okay. so you almost hit blackjack so that, yeah. that yeah. well done uh the the next three in line and this is a huge disparity here the rod laver arena that is in i believe melbourne australia right. Yeah, uh, the Xfinity Center, which I believe is the Mansfield, like the Tweeter Center. I think it's Xfinity okay. now, but uh, technically the one where they played all the Mansfield shows. And, and and like for summers upon summers, they they would go there and do two shows, like 2000, 1998. Yeah, they would go there, there and do a lot. Three night runs in Melbourne, so that makes sense too. Yep, absolutely. You're right. And then it it has Madison Square Garden for eleven, but I think. That's including the Bob Dylan tribute in there. So it's technically 10. Okay. But now now here's a good trivia question for you, because this might throw you off a little bit. What venue has had the most songs played in it? Ooh, well, it's, I'm going to say it's not Shoreline because they had so many short, Correct. short ones there. I'll say the, uh, the Mansfield one. It's actually Madison Square Garden with 300, okay. 304. Susquehanna Bank Center, which I believe the, is the BB&T Pavilion. That's the Camden one. Camden, yeah. They, them, the Rod Laver Arena and Xfinity Center are all right next to each other. Madison Square Garden has had 304 songs. The Camden and Melbourne venue have 279, 278 respectively. Xfinity Center, Tweeter Center has... 273 key arena 237 air canada center 232 then shoreline amphitheater with 213 Hmm. so there's a history here but this is the first time and and we've done the whole entire bridge school series over on patreon which is fantastic and and you know like they're they're easy shows there there were eight songs long most most of the time and and most of the time very memorable and this is the first time that we're digging into a show from Shoreline Amphitheater that's not an approach school show and you know i i don't have too much to go off of with that, but I, I know it is important for the band because every time that they did mention Bridge School, they would mention right across the hill is where they would end up recording verses in San Francisco. Yeah, and I mean, they, they talk about it in this too. I think he mentioned San Francisco, and like I'm not as familiar with the geography there to know where Mountain View is in relation to San Francisco. But yeah, he's, we talk, talked about it so many times on the Bridge School episodes about Versus and small town and and things like that, but yeah, it's it's actually nice to kind of be back at this venue. We haven't we finished the Bridge School series back earlier this year, and it's it's kind of nice to have them like playing a real show. And I know they did a couple more. There's some really early on. I think in '92 they played a regular show there, Lollapalooza. Yep. And uh, so yeah, this is cool. Uh, This was nice to kind of revisit to get a different kind of feel. I wonder what it was like for them having played, you know, sitting down so many times. If it was weird for them to come out and play full a full throttle rock show there, right? And you know, I I didn't check on this, but this might be the only time that they had played an arena or played wherever, and then months later went back to the same place. And and I, I guess <laughs> London, the O2, O2 arena, when, when Ed's voice uh, broke down a couple of years yeah. ago, I guess you can yeah. say that. But this is like, you know, they end up doing Bridge School in October, and this happens in June. So this is like three or four months later. 
that's a long time to, to go in between, but it has memorable moments here. Halloween moments. I think the village people moment ha- happens here. So that's, that's one that, that people always go back to. So, uh, it's a venue. I'm sure that we're not done covering it in their history since we've done the 17, the bridge school, and this must, must be 18, which means we have three, three more left to do. So we, uh, we still got work to do on that. There's lots of work to be done everywhere. However, we are doing this episode today because this was a Patreon request from our patron and friend Ryan Morton, and we just want to invite him into the show a little bit now. We did his Horizon profile a couple of months ago. I kept it on ice, and I said, I would air it when we do your episode, and I kept pushing it back and pushing it back, and then I'm like, all right, fine. We're finally pushing it forward, so today's the day, and later this week, we'll have the Horizon profile on Patreon, and today, we actually didn't get a chance to in in his profile we didn't get a chance to talk to him about this show so we thought that this would be a really good opportunity for him to tell his story and we'll start from there so let's hear from ryan and uh then then we'll come back we'll talk about the show i chose this show um so this would be my fourth time seeing pearl jam so my first time seeing pearl jam was in 2001 for a charity festival or it's called Groundwork. They played like 10 songs. It wasn't like a big full-blown show. And then I did see them play the two key arena shows in December of 2002. Um, so it was my first chance to see Pearl Jam in like full Pearl Jam form, arena show, uh, all their glory. And that was great. But then this opportunity to go to Mountain View to see them in 2003 came across my radar. And so I decided to to do it. And it was really cool for several reasons. One, I was 18 at the time, um, and technically I hadn't graduated high school. That was still like a few weeks away. So this show was June 1st. Graduation was like two and a half, three weeks away. So I'm actually really surprised that my parents let me do this. But it was also uh, a chance to just hang out with like my friend who, he worked at a record store, and that's how we just became friends. He's the one who like got me into Pearl Jam, and we would hang out together one day it came in and he was just like, hey, you know, Pearl Jam's not coming to Seattle on this tour. The closest they're coming is Vancouver or San Francisco area. I have 10 club tickets. And I think it was at the time where like you could only put in your a bid for like one show or one or two shows. I can't remember what it was like back then. But he said, I got two tickets to Mountain View and no one to go with. Do you want to go with me? And I said, yeah, <laughs> I do. But it was great because he did everything. So it's like, I didn't know how to do anything at that time. But he's like, look, I booked a, a cheap hotel. We can get there on public transportation and airfare is really cheap. It's like, you know, 120 bucks to fly down there. And the only thing that we don't have is transportation from the hotel to the venue. But it's like a two and a half or three mile walk. So what we can do is try and get somebody to give us a ride. And his thought for getting somebody to give us a ride is he uh, made up a sign that said free beer for ride to Pearl Jam. And so like I took a picture of it. I don't know if you can oh, see wow. that. <laughs> nice. And Simpsons, then uh, always predicted it. What's funny is that we started going, we brought the beer. The walk was actually fine. And I think that like we got to the venue like without any issues uh, to claim the tickets, but we thought it'd be a good idea just to take a picture anyway. So that's my buddy sitting there with the sign. So, yeah, and I think that, like, what was interesting is, like, you know, going to those Seattle shows, like, they were just going to a concert and seeing Pearl Jam, a great band. But then doing this um, trip to San Francisco, to the Mountain View show, I felt like then I was starting to become part of the Pearl Jam community. Because, like, while we were waiting in line to get the 10 club tickets, we're hanging out with other Pearl Jam fans. 
you know, there's people who, you know, seen them, you know, a couple, three dozen times, you know, there's people who are like, yeah, I have my office job, but I have tattoos below the neck of like Stickman and all that kind of stuff. And that really, I think, exposed me to like the Pearl Jam culture. And it just sort of created this like bewilderment because I was like, it was a really like big head scratcher. Cause like when you talk to people who've been to a couple dozen shows, it's like, you just wonder like, how the hell do you do that? Like, how do you afford it? And all that kind of stuff. Because it's like, you know, working at a Papa Murphy's pizza joint and like scraping together money for this one trip was like basically all my world. But that was cool. So that was the show, like leading up to the show and then getting in. Seats were great. I mean, like I was like trying to dig through these tickets, these seats. And I can't remember if we were like 10 rows back. But this one here, that kind of shows where we were standing. And then obviously these are disposable camera pictures. But like there's a little guy right on stage. And so Eddie comes out, I think, with his green SG and just does a song to warm up the crowd. And uh, I thought that was really cool because it was still people are still trickling in. Yeah, he did throw your arms around me. We don't have it on the bootleg, but yeah yeah and then um i got so excited so i took that picture and then i also remember like that's like the show hasn't really started the opening band hasn't really started people are still gathering in so like me and my buddy we just like walk up the aisle and just like we're like right in front of eddie for just like the other part of that song just to like i don't know just experience it up close and personal so that was fun so the show itself i think it was like extremely memorable because binaural's like my favorite album and like i was really into the uh into riot act when it came out i thought it was like a great it's not really a sophomore album to binaural but like a follow-up to binaural so it's like in that era like i was really really pleased with when riot act came out and like this is just the heyday of anti-war politics too so me being like a young 18 year old you know starting to get into that kind of stuff you know going to like jello biafra spoken word shows and just really gravitating towards the anti-war movement at the time because it's like it's just I'm trying to think back about it but you know as we were trying to like invade iraq like there's just something like i i don't know anything more than like what i see on tv and stuff but it just seemed like it was like bullshit and nonsense and so to like you know have these like musicians and other other folks you know you do rock against bush compilations and things like that oh, but i, I just those. <laughs> well some of my favorite compilations of all time i i love the, i love those records yeah yeah i gotta go back and like i don't know listen to them and see how well they hold up but it just seemed important too so it's like the politics at the time just kind of seemed bullshit you know like you'd, you'd have the bush administration saying what they're saying but i thought it was really cool and i thought it was really powerful to see like musicians like pearl jam like eddie vetter who get on stage and like leverage their spotlight to provide an alternative view. I think like as like a 18 year old, I think it was like probably something like that taught me more about critical thinking than like college, you know, or at least like planted the seeds of like what critical thinking is. So that's one thing that like, and and then this concert itself is just like such a encapsulates all of that. I mean, like, Eddie's political the whole way through. They play Know Your Rights and Bush League are back to back. You know, he gives a great little pep talk in the middle of the porch breakdown. So that was a, a lot of fun. I just think it's just a quintessential 2003 um, Pearl Jam show. And um, uh, I, I just remember it fondly. And it's a bootleg I go back to just to remember it. All right. Thanks go out to Ryan for that. Uh, fantastic stuff. And that kind of anytime that we get a story from somebody like that and that, that especially one where it, it has to do with travel and it has to do with the circumstances not being exactly 
perfect and and like you know the the whole thing about getting a ride and and things like that uh like it always preps you and gets you excited for the show and kind of tries to put you in where their shoes were at the time it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to accomplish but it's i I, that's why we love taking the request from people because it's it's always shows like this that you just don't expect definitely and yeah like we're on this run of like patreon requests we you know we've had so many of you guys have joined up and we we thank ryan and we thank everybody that we've just kind of taken the rest of this year and some of next year just be like we're just gonna knock out these requests and it's cool though because you know it might have been a long time before this show popped up on our radar because we've done the bridge school but right. yeah this is this is different from that so yeah i'm excited yeah as am i and the way that we actually start ryan mentions it Throw your arms around me is in the preset. We don't have that, though, so we don't have a lot to go off of. However, we can mention that in 2003, it was pretty common for Ed to go out there solo and play something on acoustic, either this or you got to hide your love away or don't be shy, something uh, maybe sometimes you would do dead man. So this is, I think, throw your arms around me is probably one of the best of the bunch. So it's it disappointing that we don't have it, but we got we to gotta move forward into the show if if we have nothing else to expand upon there, I think it goes right into I- Idle Wild, and which we have no, never even listened to Idle Wild before. But Idle Wild gets you right into the band, and they're going to open the show. We've been on a nice little run with this song. We're going to open the show with Long Road here. Because I don't think you think of Long Road and you think of this song having sort of some stop and go uh, when when it comes to playing. You would think it's pretty consistently played up until this point. However, in 2003, it had only been played 48 times to this point. And I'm just thinking that maybe they think because they can kind of go back to the origin of the song and the way that the song was recorded and written and then alternate versions uh, that came later that had the organ on it, I'm wondering if they're thinking now, let's let's implement this song a little bit more because we have Boom's presence, and Boom sounds really good on this, by the way. Sometimes he's kind of in the background, but this you can really hear him on, and I'm wondering that's why they wanted to add this in a little bit more. Yeah, possible. And yeah, they, they hadn't played it in a month a little more than a month so only seven times in the tour which is you think is low and i'm with you i think we've covered so many shows that that opened with it that you think it's been played a lot but less than 100 times overall 
But I think this and the throw your arms around me, I think it's a little bit of a nod to the bridge school kind of setting, like a little bit of let's kind of try to get some of that energy going here and like play a mellow one to come up. Ryan said it was it was an SG and electric that he played throw your arms around me on, but just to get a feel for that kind of like intimate setting of those bridge school shows before this starts to kind of get a feel for it and get them comfortable and, and get into it. But yeah, I agree. This is this long road is great. It sounds a lot more hopeful than a lot of them do. I think sometimes long road can come off as kind of mournful or kind of reflective. And this one really was uplifting and hopeful. I thought some boom was great. The Stone and Mike had some really nice guitar interplay that they were doing in the in the middle there. And yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Great way to open. Yeah, and, and this set list doesn't seem to have a lot more of the soaring songs, so it's interesting that they're opening a lot of with the soaring act. songs. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of Riot Act stuff, and the non-Riot Act stuff is stuff like Animal and, and Do the Evolution which and Habit, which is all kind of like very meat and potatoes kind of, kind of songs, very grungy, very riffy. So you kind of start off with a soaring song, and it kind of gets you into more of like the really fast-paced beginning and I, I thought it worked I thought it did a really good job the, the song just drives I, I think any anything from Stone's little flourishes to Ed's voice building into big moments it has that drive to it that sense of accomplishment on every drop when the song kind of you, you feel when it kind of fades out and you kind of feel the crowd just waiting for that moment to erupt when they know okay this is this is part of the end of the song that's when you know you have a really good moment with with long road and i thought that that was great right there so the way that you're going to do this whole uh, uh, opening section is by doing do the evolution animal save you green disease all bang 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 right in a row the big scream that gets you into do the evolution can tell you that the show's going to begin and i love when this one can be the catalyst to to really start you at the show it's kind of that surf rock groove that can put you in an immediate good mood and kind of get you bouncing get you heavy i don't know if you notice this but sometimes over the first stone solo mike can get a little riffy on do the evolution and it's very subtle if you pay attention to it but i love when he puts in that touch we don't usually talk about mike when it comes to do the evolution but that just that small little touch sounded really good there. Us. And Stone's really good as well. I always go to Stone on Duty Evolution. Now it's that second solo that's just amazing. And yeah, the, the only Yield song played at the show right up front here. That's pretty and, crazy. Yeah. And just a long road into Duty Evolution is that they, there are so many of these like one two punches, like we talk about, you know, release into Corduroy or Small Town into Go or whatever's now. You might get a. Pendulum and do release. They just kill these these first two. Like there's so many good juxtapositions and so many good combinations. And this just add this one to the list. It's they they work really well together. Some other things I want to mention from the song. He changes it to he's a thief, he's a liar, and that has to be referring to you know who else. But oh, yeah. the one person that he seems to can't be stopped talking about in 2003. It's a pretty political show, as Ryan mentioned. And uh, his voice just stretches out really well towards the end and, and just keeps those howls together. And that's a great way when, when you know that you got that going. I think that energizes you right from the start, band-wise, crowd-wise. Yeah, uh, he mentions it's a Sunday night crowd, but getting a Do the Evolution like this uh, feels like it's for the Thursday, Friday night kind of crowd. So um, Animal Falling, right in the pocket, guitar is blind really well together ed maybe not hearing much of the crowd because he kind of gives it over to them for the breakdown 
and it seems like he is doing it to gauge where they are and see if he can hear them and see if they're reacting. Let's hear you. it up later and I asked Ryan about this and he said he didn't think that there was anything or didn't notice that anything was a disconnect between the crowd and the band but Ed wasn't too sure where his connection was with the crowd and, and I'm wondering if this moment was done to make that connection with them. I think so and I think it's probably it's people here used to seeing them play these kind of sedate sitting down acoustic shows. And maybe it's just they needed a little jolt to kind of get into it a little bit. I wonder if that had something to do with it. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, it's, it's possible. And, and, you know, from the very early onset, I, I think you can kind of tell with some of these songs, look, they're going to do stuff like, as the songs I mentioned from before, like Habit and those kind of songs, like, is are those going to be the right t- ones for the setting? And I think he needs to prep the crowd like, hey, if you're going to be in this with us, like we got a lot of stuff for you that, that you're going to need, need to be juiced up because we need to be juiced up. So it's just correlating to, to one another. And, and he'll do that from time to time. I don't think there was anything wrong from the crowd in a bootleg or recording standpoint. I thought, I thought they sounded pretty good, but you just never know where Ed stands with that one night to another. Save You and Green Disease, the first two of, of a lengthy riot act section that kind of has a binaural sandwich in between there, uh, four out of five in a row. And it feels like a lot of these are going from Big Mike section to Big Stone section, Big Mike section to Big Stone section. It feels like they're trading off a lot of big moments. Save You as the Big Stone moment here. I never think of riot act as like a big guitar heavy record, but it it kind of was especially live like some of these songs that we get into like a lot of really and just like save you especially has become it's just a monster live like so much better than on the record i think and even green disease here which not played very often on especially on this tour like one of the least played songs from that record discount some of the the later stuff but right yeah sounds good and then you know but it's really about it's really about I am mine and you are like those are just fantastic here. Another powerful version of I am mine that I was really hoping, you know what I'm gonna say, was really hoping for to just let it ride. But I know, still very very good. I know, I know. Yeah, you kind of cap off the Green Disease and Save You pretty well. And Green Disease is always, when you get a good version of it, it just feels bouncy. It just feels like you can get the energy going, get it through the crowd. And and Jeff's bass sounds really, really good on Green Disease. Little flourishes from Matt, if you you listen really closely, you can hear those little flourishes. And Save You even had, you know, sometimes, I think in later versions, when you can get a crowd that really can feel the song they'll do that clapping section into the bridge and they'll you know when when there's the breakdown part where where jeff it's it's only jeff playing they'll do that clapping part i think that was kind of shortened up here it was a little bit abridged and you didn't really get that so you lost a little bit of that with save you but i feel like ed 
saved it at the end. Of course, the vocals at the end of the song are always, that's going to be the height of it. That, that's going to be the moment that you, you're waiting for. And that sounded really good here. So after those two, Ed toasted the crowd and mentioned the February 15th protest and said in San Francisco, it was reported that 50,000 people were there. However, we were in Australia and we saw all 250,000 of you and we reported on it correctly. So good on you. And they go into a protest song, which is Grievance. Grievance sounds awesome. I think this whole section is fantastic. Grievance, I am mine. You are. You, you kind of mentioned I am mine and how passionate that was. Even before that, the version of Grievance was incredible. I thought that some of Mike's solos in that were just, just sandpaper. Like, they just hit you in a different way. It, it sounded really good here. Yeah, Ed, too, I thought was just dynamic and explosive on, on Grievance. I think, too, like you know, like you and Ryan both mentioned, this is a heavy political show, and I think that's where he feels comfortable, you know, for better or for worse. You know, not that he wants to have political shows, but I think when when those come up, and there are a lot of them in 2003, obviously, that's his element. Like, he can, he can get into that, and it, it aids the music. I think it aids his performance when he kind of gets fired up and gets worked up about stuff i come on here every time and say you know the man wears his heart on his sleeve on stage you you don't have to guess to know how he's feeling he'll he'll tell you whether through the performances or straight up and these political shows always seem to bring out a little extra from him and yeah grievance i think is is perfect on that i think it sets the tone really for the next set he just he sounds feral like you, you would think it was like 1994 When it doesn't, when it, when there's not the kind of fire behind it, when there's not like a reason for them to play it, I think it can come off a little flat. Yeah, uh, like it has in like the 2010s a little bit. Mm-hmm. But these these early versions, 2000, 2003, 2006, 2005, all really really good. I think yeah, great great live song. There aren't a lot of holdovers from Binaural, and this is this is yeah. one of them. So, for for a reason, absolutely. We didn't really talk about UR too much, and I thought this version of UR was absolutely just exceptional. I thought it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, really, really good. Good groove to it. Just the build at the end, tight. Mike's guitar comes in. It's like the extra injection. It feels like he's progressively getting louder as the song kind of getting gets closer to its end. Just very, very strong version of UR.
this show has little sections. Like there's the 90s section, then you get into like the the 2000 section, the 2000 2003 section. Then it's this is going to take us right up to another 90s section here. It's interesting how that works out. Yeah, no, uh, I think they uh, they wanted to hit you with with all the new songs yeah. early, and then yeah. kind of have that that even flow where that's that's your your pace changer, that's that's your your destination point where you know where where you can go from there. And you're right, the next five songs are all going to be '90s, either early '90s or right in the mid mid '90s, right there. So we got to mention about even flow because in late, I should say the late first U.S. leg. Even flow is on an absolute scorching stretch from the Buffalo show to the Nassau Coliseum show. Even flow was probably in my eyes at the height of its playing and the height of Mike's solos. And I, I think that this, this is pretty much picking up where, where he left off. I think the way that it sounds, there's just something extra to it. And you know that, and, and I think it's where, when he kicks off that solo, it kind of sounds like he's playing either it's like a double guitar sound or something like that but it also kind of sounds like almost like an if if an organ or or b3 sort of replicated what a guitar would sound like that's the sound it kind of comes off as and it happens a couple of times in this show it happens during i believe crazy mary it happens during maybe a live or porch i can't remember which one but it happens a couple times and that's this is the era for it it doesn't really happen much before or after this so just something that i noticed i don't know how accurate that is i don't I, but it just sounded like it was just something louder something a little bit more electric than what we usually normally get with mics but very 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 good yeah, it, it sounded, we had one, I think it was last week, that, that was a little funky and had a little bit of a rhythm to it, a little bit of syncopation. And it reminded me a little bit, and I'm, and I'm not a Chili Peppers expert to know, you know, Slovak versus Frusciante versus Dave Navarro. You never talk about the Chili Peppers influence on Pearl Jam early in the, back in the day, but, you know, we talked about how them and Jane's Addiction were a big, big influence on 10, especially in this, and even Flow too, I think. Mike probably took a little bit from those guys like Slovak and, and Frusciante, especially pre, you know, 1991, 1992 for the solo. I think some of that stuff still kind of like filters in sometimes. Like he's got that in his repertoire. He can get a little funky on stuff. We think of him as more just like a shredder, like a Hendrix style, Steve Ray Vaughn style shredder, but he can get a little funky when he needs to. Yeah, I, you know, I, that's that's a really good point, and that's something I haven't really put much thought into. But I can see overall the shreddingness is kind of more Dave Navarro, but Dave Navarro kind of has a little bit of the funky vibe to him too. Like I, I can addiction. see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I can I can see that. I I, I guess I, I guess I can see a little bit of Hoel Slovak in there. I can I can see a little Frusciante. Yeah, yeah. I I don't think. Look, I think all three of them are, are exceptional guitarists. I don't know if they're on Creedy's level. I just don't know that. Maybe yeah. at one point yeah. Navarro was, but that's no disrespect to any of them. I, I, I don't think that we were able to see what Hillel Slovak was capable of. Sure. But Frusciante's sure. pretty damn good, too. Like, I, that's absolutely no disrespect to any of the three of those. But I, I think that that's, that's just a testament to what I think of Mike and just how revered I, th- I, I oh, think yeah, he is in that he's, he's gone above and beyond, I think, at this point. Yeah. Right. 
Right, absolutely. So, um, yep, it's on fire, and it's not like a 10-minute solo or anything, but it, it, it brings you in the same way that a 10-minute solo does. Uh, it, ha- it has that feel to it, so done very well. Not For You and Corduroy, two Vitalogy are going to follow up with that, and Not For You is dedicated, and sometimes it's just so weird when this shit happens, and it happens more <laughs> often than not. Yeah, it's very... <sighs> who? Yeah. I, go An- ahead. I, I'm not going to spoil it. Go ahead. A non-timely reference, something that would be totally just irrelevant if we mentioned it any other week. However, we happen to mention it this week, and it's relevant because we just lost Colin Powell. So, Not For You is dedicated to the FCC commissioner, who is Colin Powell's son, Michael. <laughs> like, you, you can't make this stuff up. Seriously. I don't, I don't know. I have no answer for it. Yeah. I have absolutely no answer. Ne- next, next week, we'll, we'll get a show with Alec Baldwin or some shit like that. Right. <sighs> So, um, look, dated references happen to be timely. Uh, I, I guess if, if, uh, if you're going to live on four legs for anything, you're, you're going to us for that. In the bridge, it, it sounds like Ed is, is asking for some encouragement. He's like, hey, do you want encouragement? You want us to help you sing along? You want us to help you get into it? And he's, I think he's putting a little bit of extra effort in to getting the crowd to participate along. But however, overall performance is fantastic. Stone is sounding really good. Like I said, Mike Stone, Mike Stone. That's exactly what you have here. Even flows Mike. Not for you, Stone. Corduroy is going to be Mike again. Like that's such a great balance. And both of them really get the shine in those moments when they're doing that back and forth. Absolutely. And not for you, I think too, he's, he changes the lyrics says, you know, seats all of you and I'll have to make room. So he's, he's, again, he's trying to, he's trying to connect. He's trying to bring everybody in, trying to make a connection and get everybody going. So yeah, I think that, that ties in with, with what you were saying. Definitely. The mid-set corduroy. Uh, What'd you think about the mid-set corduroy? Because we get into sort of a situation now where we got in last week where Go was kind of in an earlier set point, but it wasn't highlighted. Now corduroy is a song that's not highlighted here. It's it's kind of in this post even flow spot that you would save for, you know, not for you would happen here, habit would happen here, and daughter would happen here. Those on the next couple, but corduroy is usually saved for the big moments. This is not, and I wouldn't even call it a subdued corduroy, but I would say that it doesn't make it out to be a showstopper. However. Once you build into what Mike is about to do in the solo, where he's putting on a display, it does get you there. However, I don't think the intention is for Corduroy to absolutely blow everybody away. Yeah, it's it's not the like the energetic opener front three song. It doesn't need to have that energy here. But yeah, I, I'm with you. And even before the solo, I think I mentioned on on Long Road, there was some really good interplay between Stone and Mike. And here, yeah, you, you hear Mike kind of gear up for the solo and you hear Stone kind of playing off of him a little bit. And there's a little moment where they, they're both kind of going for a second. It's really, really cool. And yeah, this was this was great. I thought it kind of gives, you know, and we're kind of in an, in an Ed guitar section here as well. You know, we were just kind of getting to the point where that wouldn't matter. But here, you know, he's, he's got the guitar on and he's playing along. So you're getting a little bit of a three guitar attack, which, yeah, adds a lot to Corduroy. I thought, yeah, this one, I think it's it's not front loaded like some of the ones are when he's trying to build up that energy at the beginning of the show. 
it can be backloaded as well where Mike can take over and do his thing. And that's where it fits more in the mid set here. I think it just goes to show like what a versatile song it is. And going back a little bit, I believe Ed plays on green disease, if I'm not mistaken. So green disease, grievance, I am mine. That's another three guitar attack. You got two in you are an even flow that aren't then not for you. Corduroy habit are daughter isn't. And then I think the rest of the set until insignificance, you really don't get that out of bed unless he's playing on thumbing my way, which I don't think really happens till later. Yeah, I could be wrong on that. I could be wrong on that. So before we get into habit and daughter, Ed says they feel like they're gone on too long without checking in the people in the back. You can get in trouble for saying things like switch up with the people in front. So I won't say that and habit daughter back to back. uh, I think the daughter stuff is, is pretty interesting because we've never gotten really into these two songs that they tag here. Habit has no speaking as a, as a child of line. It just, it, it zooms right straight through it. It gets pretty intense at the end. Uh, surprisingly tight for a song that you really don't hear a lot in 2003. In between songs, I don't know if you caught this. Did you hear what the fans are chanting for? That's pretty cool huh. because other side is the B side off of... Save you. Uh, save you. Yeah. So. Was that out I, at the time? Because Lost Dogs. It had to have been. Yet. Yeah, it had to have been. I, I, I would think. It, unless they 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 ripped it off uh, the Casa or something like that. Huh. They'd have to wait seven years, but the first time they played it would be here. Right. Exactly. That, that's kind of, that, that, that's funny yeah. you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they were in their locals that were in attendance for that show, but they seem to be wanting the deep, 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 deep cuts from this night. However, we do get two Tom Waits songs that have never been played before as two separate tags. And the first and only time that rains on me is tagged and Ed is getting the crowd to participate along with it. And it's an easy call and response, but it's not a song that people know. It seems it it just seems that they're kind of following whatever Ed is saying and it's working and it's working pretty well but it fizzles out towards the end Another Tom Waits tag and hold on, which if you look at the set list and see that hold on is tagged, you're like, oh shit, did they tag their own song? This might be the only song that they have a cover and original of the same title. Yeah. Am I wrong by that? I think you're right. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll we'll let it go to the audience. If there is another one that's out there, 
if there's another Go that they've done, if there's another Better Man that they've done, there's another elderly woman behind the counter in a small <laughs> town that they've done, please let us know. That's information that I think we need to know. So, Lifetime has a song called Alive, but I don't think they've ever done that. I Yeah, I, I would assume probably probably not on that aspect. Yeah. So yeah, what, what do you think of the Tom Waits stuff here? Very, very good. Very, very good. It's especially in, in 2003, you were getting a lot of stuff that people knew. Because if we talked about back in the 90s, it was kind of a crapshoot. You would get, you might get noise of carpet, you might get WMA, you might get another brick in the wall, but you might get something that you never heard before. You might that boy. Yeah, you might get some REM stuff, depending on where they were. By 2003, it was more, you were getting a lot of, you know, it's okay, it started to come in and you were getting a lot of WMA and it was more stuff that people knew. So you you get that sense of like, oh, okay, this is gonna be a chance for us to sing. Like, here we go, we're gonna get something. And then they break out the, this debut tag here that and I, the, the two Tom Waits, I think, especially going, I'm, I, I think Tom Waits had played the bridge school, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, 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 sure I'm gonna guess that he had. And yeah. I think it's just another nod to, to where they are and I, I really like this, and I like that that Rains on Me kind of is the debut. And hold hold on, this would be this is actually the only the last time, time they did Rains on Me. Yeah, the only time, and the last time they actually did Hold On as well. They had done it a few times in 2000, but they hadn't. They have not done it since this show. And I think it's a nice kind of a way to like end one and kind of begin another. And I really really like this. I think it's very very good. Yeah, no, I, I look, I'm not the biggest Tom Waits fan in the world, but uh, I, I liked what I heard here. And I also think that 2003 kind of going off of your point, I think if any if it's known for any tag, it's probably known for with my own two hands or uh, maybe this was more off wish list. But why can't I touch yeah. it when the yeah. Buzzcocks would play? But I think that was more off a wish list. It was so. Yeah. But you always think of Ben Harper coming out and doing with my own two hands, which I believe in one of these shows, this is very early on in the second leg. And I think they did a Vancouver and they did a Missoula show before this. I think in one of those shows they did with my own two hands. So another byproduct of the era. Speaking of being at bridge school shows and getting songs that work for the bridge school setting thumbing my way is absolutely perfect for that. And this might be the one of the best two song combos of the night. This is fantastic. Really love thumbing my way. Really love present tense. And I, you know, the, the way that the set is being balanced is very well done here. I thought that there's enough of the driving stuff. There's enough of the, the stuff with the heavy solos. There's enough of the stuff with the sing-alongs. And now you're kind of getting down to a point where, okay, we need to kind of kick it into full gear once the last three songs come in. So let's take it down with Thumbing My Way. It was the perfect time for it. Present Tense was the perfect time to kind of get you that smooth transition to bring you back up. Then the last three songs are going to be perfect in that aspect to get you riled up for the end of the set. I think that it's a masterclass in set list work from this show. I can be free with what's locked inside of me If there was a key to get in your hand There's no wrong or right But I'm sure there's good and bad Oh, the questions linger 
Thumbing My Way is very good here. It's very close to an album version. The guitars sound amazing, the, the tone, everything's perfect, the pace of it. And present tense, I think, you know, Ryan mentioned that too as, as one that's, that stood out to him. And it's it's hard because, you know, he says, like, we we hadn't played this one in a while and they weren't playing it a lot. You know, I think we talked about that Atlanta show in, in 2003 from a couple of months before this where they had brought it back for the yep. first time since 2000. They played in Nassau Coliseum as well, yep. and they opened yep. it somewhere, I think, right after the Atlanta show. I want to say it was right. like Nashville or Charlotte, one of those. Right. So, yeah, this was this is not a, a very good technical version of it. I think Mike has to kind of stop and figure out the intro at the beginning, like, how do I come in on this? And then <laughs> it gets a little rough before the, the end kicks in where they have to kind of take an extra measure to kind of figure out where everybody is. But... It, it doesn't take away from the performance of it. I mean, if you're there, like like Ryan said, this is this is one that's that's going to bring the house down. And uh, we're going to actually throw it to Ryan right here, and we'll get exactly because he he mentioned present tense as being one of his favorite moments of the night. So why don't we hear from the man himself? What was present tense like for him? At that time, I'd really only been exposed to ten versus Yield, Binaural, and Ride Act. So it's like still trying to like get into the catalog. So I hadn't really gotten into Vitology or No Code. And I remember when uh, Eddie introduces, he's about to do present tense. He says, you know, this is a little number we, we haven't done in a while. And it just starts off with me and Mike. I honestly think that like that was the first time I'd ever heard that song was that live performance. And it just, it sounded really cool because it was like singer-songwriters, you know, acoustic guitar songs are really stripped down. It felt like a song like that, but with um, with an electric guitar, um, but obviously not distorted. So that kind of hit me. So that has to be really interesting to go to a show and think that, and, and look, when you're at your, I think it was his fourth show, there's so much more that you can still intake and like i feel like when you're very early on in a band you get you just get hooked to stuff and it takes you a while to really fully intake the whole entire catalog i know i did that and i kind of have a similar trajectory that as uh, that ryan did i don't think i got as into binaural as he did but i was into riot act i was into yield i was into the first couple records but no code kind of eluded me for a little while too and the second show that I went to, present tense, while I I, I I knew the song, it felt like the whole entire arena was singing along, and I almost felt left out in that aspect, because I'm like, shit, this sounds terrific, and I can't be a part of this, and I think I went home and I listened to it about three or four dozen times, and I'm like, shit, now I know the song, now I love the song let's let's do this like let's get it on i think the next tour they ended up playing at one of the shows i went to and i'm like screaming at the top of my lungs because finally i'm able to have that moment with the song so i i fully get where where he's coming from with that but it's also it's great when you do get a song like that that you can discover for the first time live instead of finding it on the record because you're getting it in kind of its raw sense like like you mentioned with uh, some of the stuff that Mike was working with there in the beginning just sort of noodling around and figuring out what the tone was you're getting the song broken down exactly before they put the production on it 
Yeah, and that's an interesting point, too, because there's kind of like a dividing line, I think, at because I'm 43. Like, there's a dividing line. It's interesting between those of us that kind of, like, grew up with them and, like, every, you kind of got everything in chronological order as it happened. And then versus the people that, like like yourself and, like, Ryan, who, who are a little bit younger and had to discover them later on and had to go back. Like, I wonder... It's, it's hard for me to, to even gauge what that would be like to try to go to have to discover them halfway through and go back. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm not being elitist at all. Like, I think it's just interesting the, the different way. Like, I, for you, like, it must be weird to think, like, man, these people just got these songs, like, as they were released. Like, that's weird. It's interesting how that there's kind of a probably around like age, age 40, 41, 42, like, the people older than that got everything as was released and you kind of just went with the flow and you were along for the ride and the people younger than that if you discovered them later you kind of like were able to pick and choose like maybe you heard something off the radio or maybe you heard this like it depends like your fandom might depend on like whether you heard binaural first or whether you heard vitology first or whether you heard 10 first or whether ride act like it's just an interesting discussion of like what kind of fans I think you, you know, it, and we've got all those type of fans that listen to the show and that that we interact with, and it's it's all fantastic. It just goes to show they've been around for so long and had so many eras. You can jump in at any point and still come in and catch it. It can still hit you like that. That's interesting. I was actually going to save this point for when we promoted the stuff, but this week on liveonfourlegs.com, I was going to post a blog because I had found some old, I, I just loved making lists back in the day. If I got bored, uh, you know, I, got, I got bored often uh, you know, back when I was a kid. So I, I made some top 50 lists and I'm glad I have these because it's you're able to tell where you started as a fan. And I had one from 2009, right before that Chicago show that I was just mentioning that had present tense in it. And I made one before that, and you can see where my fandom is in that in that point. And most of what I'm gauging off of is I'm gauging off of studio album stuff. And I'm I'm trying to make a list that's also more of a best of list, and that like is like okay. This is what Pearl Jam's good stuff is, and it might not have... I put some songs on there in spots where, like, you know, I probably wouldn't put Jeremy as high as I put it there, but I think that was kind of where I was at the time and the kind of fan that, that I was seeing. And if you look at the, the album disparity, you can probably see there's there's tons of 10 songs and there's tons of Yield songs. However, there's one Yield song that isn't on there that's going to shock every single person and there's a reason why I'll mention it in the article but I, I also did one in 2013 too and the way that I kind of made that top 50 list was I determined it off of the stuff that I had seen all the stuff that uh, had impacted me live to that point and a couple of songs that I really wanted to see live but there's some stuff that I listen to now that I love now that aren't on that list and, and I think now it kind of comes full circle because I make a new top 50 list and a lot of the stuff that's on the top 50 list is stuff that I haven't seen before. It's stuff that I'm dying to see. It's stuff that we've covered on the show that I love listening to that or stuff that, that I've seen and I didn't get a chance to really enjoy it or appreciate it at the time. But that's where I am now. It, it, it's a, like a three-part act of learning where and becoming mature once you start to get to listen more and start to kind of 
intake their catalog a lot more. So check that out. That's probably on liveonfourlegs.com right now. So, hey, uh, we'll get into the last three songs, and then we'll get into talking a little bit more about that. Half Full, Insignificant to Go. Half Full is just another moment for Mike to shine, and that's Good exactly Lord, what Mike. happens yeah, here. Absolutely. Uh, that, that pitchy organ sound is back. Insignificance. Ed is communicating with the crowd a little bit. I don't know what's going on there, but he's like, that's Rock Point, man. That's Rock Point. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, I don't either. I heard it, and I, you know, we don't have video of the show, so it's hard mm-hmm. to tell, but he might have been pointing to something off in the distance or something, I assume. Right. The ending, the ending on Insignificance is just I, the, the surge that the song yeah, gets yeah. and the way that oh, it just a, builds. There's a, a drum fill that Matt does that I've never heard him do on this song before, and it comes in, and it's like rolling thunder. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Very, very good version. And then Go is going to be your set closer. And Go is just, I mean, how long do you think normal versions of Go live are? Probably like, what? Two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes. This technically ends at 2.40, but it really, they're kind of holding holding out notes and, and they're just kind of holding out a beat. It, it really ends at like two, 2.05, 2.10. They speed through it. They okay, yeah, destroy yeah. it. And they, they'll do that when these kind of like shorter kind of quote unquote punk rock songs end a set. You'll see it with, you know, sometimes you'll get spin the black circle. Sometimes you get save you, or sometimes you'll get do the evolution even fits in that category. Well, they'll just know it's the end of the main set. They just murder the ending of it. Right. They need to jolt the crowd, get them excited to come back and and, uh, come in for the encore. So that's where we are right here. We're at the encore. So we're pausing for station identification. Talk a little bit about I just mentioned live on four legs dot com. I don't think we need to go too much further into that. Our uh, 2014 U.S. tour series is finished up and very soon we'll have more from the 2014 year and you'll hear from us when we do. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Patreon because now is a really good time to join up. I just want to tell everybody if you've let your membership lapse, if you've just been stalling on it, I, I, I don't want to share what's going on, but we're going to be loading up Patreon very soon. And there's going to be a lot of brand new stuff that that we haven't done before happening. Maybe, well, I just said very soon, so maybe I'll just keep it at that. Wait, their version of the the forum post, like, psst, psst, yeah, the, yeah, the they, piss post, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So make sure it's not like your ten club membership is going to lapse or anything like that. But if you're listening to this before Halloween. I would uh, I, I would look into uh, getting onto Patreon. And uh, the way that you do that is going to patreon.com slash live on four legs. Search live on four legs on the Patreon app. And that's how you can join. And we mentioned last week, the best part about this is getting requests from the patrons. And Ryan was nice enough. Ryan, who requested this episode, was nice enough to kind of leave his thought about why he loves being a patron and, and why he donates to Patreon. So we're going to we're going to give it to him and see if he can he can get you guys over so uh ryan take it away so i'm a fan of like patreon and giving to like independent media um i just think it like to me like the podcast is almost like the audio version of like a a pearl jam zine i'm a big fan of public radio and i kind of feel like when you give to patreon you're giving to like your your local public radio station except your local public radio station talks about only pearl jam could you imagine if if that was on the airwaves? <laughs> but I'm always a big fan of that. So I encourage people to 
donate to live on four legs and i just uh it's so, it's so worthwhile i mean the content versus the contribution is is just incredible um the quality the quality control just the stuff you learn and enjoy about this band it's it's like getting i've always thought that listening to this podcast is almost like getting a phd in pearl jam <laughs> i love that he mentions the PhD thing, because now it, it makes me want to create a new leg. That's the doctorate leg. And <laughs> that we can be charging tu- tuitions now. <laughs> Cause right, right. if we're really, if we're really giving that kind of education, then, um, shit, uh, <laughs> how do we profit, uh, profit? <clears throat> you and I both have young kids. They, they, they're going to need a college fund. Yeah. They no. need real college, right? They need doctorates in real, in real stuff and real studies. But, uh, thank you, Ryan, for, for saying all those nice yeah, things. Thanks, and, uh, look, the tiers are the bonus tier. That's going to get you $1 a month. It's going to get you all of the content that's already on Patreon and all the stuff that we hint hinted at that is coming very soon. And the gigaleg tier is going to get you a request like Ryan had today, but Ryan is actually a horizon leg patron, which means he gets an episode that focuses on his fandom that we're going to be releasing to Patreon later this week. So there are the three facets of it, the three stages. I always say, if you just want to dip your feet in, then get into the bonus leg, just get in a dollar a month. And if you want to be more involved, then join the other tiers later on. But, um, look, we're, we're just trying to grow stuff over there. And, uh, because we know that that people intake the content that's why we're really starting to ramp up and, and doing some more stuff like i mentioned look we talked about a lot about an evolution episode coming we're not bullshitting you now it's actually coming so hang tight for that i think that's all i got here do you have anything that you want to add no do you want to talk about Coldplay? uh do we have to no we don't to it? i did yeah I, did. I, I hadn't even listened to it I thought it was okay. Uh, it was nice I, on the anniversary. Like, yeah, I don't know if they knew it was the anniversary. On October twenty second, I think they probably did. I think they were probably alerted to that by some. I think they just thought we're in Seattle, and maybe, uh, if maybe. there's any band that we want to do in Seattle, it it, it, it would be them. But yeah. I, I, I would that that would be nice if 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 he was as big of a Pearl Jam fan as as he claimed to be, which uh, you know nothing nothing man is not a. It's in between being a hit and being a fan favorite. Like a it's little bit of in a between. A little bit of a deep cut. Right. So I, I give him credit for that. And, and you know, didn't go off the rails with it. it. It sounded pretty much what you would expect a Chris Martin version of Nothing Man to sound like. So uh, I was all right with it overall. Okay. But, yeah, I got, I, got, I got nothing else. I figured yeah. that's, that's the only thing uh, Pearl Jam Live we might be getting for a little while. So uh, let's continue on. Let's get back into the rock. As Ed is trying to do what Five Horizons said to be a Steven Tyler impersonation by doing kind of the arena rock scream. All right, everybody! Yeah! Can I hear it for a Sunday night in San Francisco? Weird. Didn't like it. But he is kind of mentioning here, as as we mentioned earlier, he thought maybe that this was a down night because it's a Sunday night crowd, but really, I guess it, it it's just my fault. That's a weird... Uh, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's going strange. for the... He's, he's putting the guilt trip on him. Right, yeah. It's not and, you, it's me. 
He's right, but I, I think he knows that that a really good Crazy Mary is coming up, and I think he wants the crowd to be at least appreciative of it. So he's mentioning here that they were trying to count and they were, you know, figuring out how many shows that we've played, and and we figured out that we've played at this venue more than anywhere else we've played, and that kind of got me to pulling up the stats that I mentioned at the beginning of the show and said they played like six Halloweens and two day befores, and he still has visions of waking up and seeing Mike in the Village People outfit. And unless Neil stops playing there, which he did, we'll never get to be the house band, which they're not. And they are coming back in October, and they they did. They're also playing with now the the chicks, but the Dixie chicks at the time, who get booed. And then Ed's like, if anybody's going to boo them, I will kick your ass. (laughs) So good for him for sticking up for them, because not like... Usually, you know, you, I don't know, rock stars will always try to pander into that. Oh, yeah, they suck. They suck. This this artist sucks. And, like, I'm glad because Pearl Jam and, and the Chicks were kind of in the same boat. Like, while the Chicks were kind of getting lambasted for protesting and, and doing everything that they did, Pearl Jam was being ignored. So I like, I, I think that they, you have to commend what they were doing and especially in the kind of spotlight that they were doing it in. Like Pearl, I think Pearl Jam were kind of more expected to do it because they've always kind of done that. But, but, the, but the chicks were supposed to be, you know, this kind of good old girl band from, uh, from the South. And they told everybody how that, how they really felt. And it, it pissed a lot of people off. A lot of people that were, very much top 40 kind of music listeners were very turned off by that, but good for them. I've always appreciated that. I might be misremembering this, but I want to say like after that, the drama with them happened, I think in London, I think Ed maybe even reached out to them or like this came out publicly and supported them. I remember something about that. Maybe it was later, but I know they kind of became friends after that. Like they kind of, the story is if people don't remember Dixie Chicks were in London, England and said something about how the president was an idiot or something. I don't remember the exact quote, but they were kind of like blacklisted in the U.S. for all because they're a country artist. You don't do that. And I think Pearl Jam really kind of reached out to them. And I think he might've even met with them. I know they, They've done like benefits together maybe since then, I think. The, and, the chicks were on the, the Vote for Change tour. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. So I think they they kind of struck up a friendship around this time. So yeah, I can see where he would be like, no, that that was pretty badass what they did. Like, don't don't right. fuck with them. Yeah. Right. Um that that was cool. Yeah, most other bands would just be like, Yeah, yeah, fuck country yeah. music and all that. But right. no, it's right. Ed very earnest and, and genuine with that. And then the crowd's like, Okay. If if Ed if Ed believes it like and and you know how people are uh, I don't want to say sheep but you know it, a little if, bit of if, you get that herd mentality when you get in thousands of people together it's sure. natural yeah sure for sure the way that you're opening up the encore I really really like this as an encore opener I don't think we've done this as an encore opener before but very 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 intrigued getting it and after it finished I said this is wonderful it was love boat captain i don't know how often they've done this in this spot and i'm guessing if if they did it was probably all during this tour boom and mike just sound fantastic and once again i think it's mike with that kind of etherical guitar tone that i was mentioning before that kind of sounded like it could be more of a b3 sound 
the band just rips through it and all the Riot Act songs sound really, really good at this show. And it's just going into, I guess, where how they were feeling with these songs. And and uh, they, they had eight of they played eight of them. And Love Boat Captain is, is up there with one of the better ones from, from this show. Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I think the placement's very good. I think that adds to it because, you yeah. know, we've... We've, I've been I've been listening to a lot of those 2014 ones. We've been doing the reviews on the on liveonfourlegs.com, and those are just it just hits like so differently. And this one, like, it didn't grab me immediately like some of them do. Like a lot of the like you'll get it early in the set, like with Corduroy, like the songs that when they're in that first, second, third spot in the show, they just have a little little more oomph behind them, a little more energy. But this one I think built up really nicely, and I I really was into it by the end. Great, yep, and thought that that was great going into small town and better man. It, it's not your your typical kind of campfire uh, opening of an encore, but it is starting and building to getting to something bigger. Small town better man, very good, and you know he's doing the encouragement singing along in the beginning of better man. It's very good, tight performance at the end of better man. Small town sounds sounds great. Thought those two were 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 fine on their own, but I don't want to. I, I just want to get straight to Crazy Mary because I think that this was absolutely a highlight from this show. How could it not be? It clocks in at 9 minutes and 41 seconds, and it's not like they were talking at the end of it. This is full on. The whole entire song was about 10 minutes long, and I think at about 4 minutes is where they started getting into the dual section. And Boom goes off for about two to three good two to three minutes of boom there goes off for about two to three minutes of his own and my god boom sounds amazing in this but mike is just unbelievably great mike sounds incredible on this version this is out of this world when it comes to mike and crazy mary he's on another stratosphere with this i mean all i have to just say is as much as I can give to you from, from this version, listen to it and take it in and maybe put it in rewind and listen to it again and then listen to it again because that's how good this version of Crazy Mary was. Just obliterates it towards the end.
Crazy Mary's been played by Pearl Jam 160 times, according to uh, my friends at Live Footsteps. This is my favorite version of all time. That's not a hot take. Hands, hands down. This is that's not a hot take. This is glorious. Um, there's even before, like I'll even start earlier than that. Before the the jam section starts, boom, you hear him come in, and it's like he's lying in wait just sliding in a little bit like I'm just gonna make myself known here a little bit just kind of get cramped up a little bit and you like like tiger like waiting to pounce on something yeah and then they they come out like I said and there's like a little jam where like no one's really soloing no one's going crazy they're just kind of jamming on it a little bit like building it up boom boom starts doing his thing then Mike comes in then they start dueling at like six or seven minutes right and it's just a thing of beauty and then after the duel mike shuts it down and goes nope that i'm i'm gonna show you how this is done right and just takes it to 18 stratospheres higher then you didn't even mention stone on the acoustic guitar stone starts pounding away on that thing just rocking the fuck out on the acoustic guitar like you can hear He's almost as loud as Mike is. Just you can hear like him just pounding on the strings. It's oh, it's amazing. This is worth the price of admission. person that thought this was a highlight of the night is the requestee of the show and that's ryan so let's let's hear his take and what he was thinking about crazy mary i think that's the first time i'd ever heard crazy mary was that live show so if you listen to that song and just imagine like that's like the first time anyone's ever heard that song in their life ever and i remember leaning to my friend and i said hey what's this song he said crazy mary and i couldn't hear him i said what crazy man that was like a really 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 killer um version of it and then i think it goes right into a live and then right into that porch which i think was still fast porch at the time so like you mentioned that was another one from him that he was unfamiliar with came out of the show with a new appreciation for this song and how could you not like this was just this was a jam fest it was well, imagine so imagine this being the first time you've ever heard this song period I would want to try to take a time machine back in time to relive the moment because, oh my goodness. I, um, yeah, I had never heard this version before listening to the show. I had never listened to the show before covering it in this aspect, but, uh, I'm a better person for it now. This is (laughs) grade a five star performance kind of shit Unreal. you know, this doesn't, 
Yeah, and Crazy Mary is usually a really good highlight when you get a good version of it. It's phenomenal. This is like well over in the mountains that Ed points to whenever he mentioned verses. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's well up there with some that. of the best blacks, with some of the best porches, with some of right. the best better mans. Like, this is up there. Look, and maybe people kind of discredit it and discount it because it's not technically a Pearl Jam song, but. Pearl Jam has made it theirs enough for it to be fitting in that category with those songs. I think it, I think it belongs. I think this it really one does. does. For sure. yeah. yeah. I think, and, and most versions, most nights you kind of elicit that reaction from the crowd, that same exploding when, when Mike gets into his part, exploding when boom gets into his part, like the crowd falls along and, and they, they know what's going on. They know how good it is. And I, I think it fits in with all the other songs that, that, that have that feel to it. I put it up there, just, just put it up there with the other ones. I, I, I get that it's technically in the covers catalog, but they've made it enough of their own to make it really seem that, this belongs to them. Would so, be good to do an evolution episode on. Just saying. I, this, this is this is the cover that I want to do. This is the cover that I've been asking for, and I think the next one after giving a fly is going to be a cover because I'm we just haven't we haven't done it yet. But we don't. We'll see. Maybe maybe we'll just decide this one. We've let the fans decide like the last five or six, but we'll <laughs> we'll see if you guys agree with us. Alive and Porch are finishing your set for the second week in a row. We get the combo of Alive and Porch, which is really not very common. But I think even the week before that, we got Porch into Alive, which was way, way less common. So just food for thought there. Mike is Mike is holding some feedback onto Alive. I don't know if you noticed that, but that that's oh, kind of good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Right. It, it's, it starts out kind of normal. You think like, OK, after Crazy Mary, they're going to. We're going to get some bread and butter here, but I think there's a little bit of afterglow from Crazy Mary. About halfway through the Alive solo, he goes, no, I'm going to let this one, I'm going to let go on this one a little bit. He he just lets that note hang, and oh, it's great. I love when he does that. And we get Porch. Uh, They're apparently, Ed and Mike are running around the aisles a little bit, doing the fan experience uh, that they always do during Porch now. But also, Ed, this this is where... The show is probably at its most political. Uh, Ed mentioning here, kind of in that little porch break where it gets quiet, kind of gives him a chance to talk. Seeing this many people here, the uh, thought for the day. The music is a weapon of mass construction. And then we thought about it even harder, and it's even more importantly, protest is a weapon of mass construction. say this everywhere, or maybe we need to say it everywhere, but since so much, so much has started 
in this city and in Berkeley and historically you're part of movements but that vote's gonna come up soon in a blink in less than a year the vote's gonna come up soon and that can be your form of protest let's have a preemptive strike against another four shitty years for the time and for what's going on i think that kind of encapsulates if you were to make a politically charged 2003 album with the most political moments i would have to put this this version of porch on there for sure yeah i think so and it's not very often that you get like he just kind of just talks during porch like not very often so and he's able to like he comes up with these little hooks like that that music is a weapon of mass destruction like he's not just up there rambling like he right that's that's a statement he gets to the point and he he's got that charisma to to connect with the crowd and he's got the hook and he can get people on board and it's it's effective it's not just it's not just like oh god he's talking again like no it's it's effective he gets to the point you're right i think and i think it's for everybody too and i think even the people that might not be agreeing with him that are there can kind of understand the importance of that statement whether or not they agree with it or not they understand that that that's important that and that needs to be said Encore number two is not, this is probably one of the rarest, weirdest encores, and I don't even want to call it weird because it's awesome, I love it, but it's definitely not something you get from any other era. You're going to open it with a little clash, you're going to open it with Know Your Rights. This is a public service announcement. wonderful and just angry and charged and whenever I think of them doing this I think about actually this song following Bush Leaguer which is happening in the opposite direction here uh, at the Nassau Coliseum show and them just not giving a fuck and it just getting more visibly angry as the song went on and on and on and he's really channeling his inner uh, Joe Strummer here and even at the end he's, he's kind of saying uh, we need more than ever and I, 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 was he ill of health at this time? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure uh, I, I know he was around had he had or okay I think so and, oh my god I think that was 2001 or 2002 Strummer and Joey and Dee Dee and Johnny all died within like four years of each other. That's horrible, awful, 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 awful. But very, very intense, and it's it's building up to the intensity of that free speech line, uh, the number three. Like that's that's the one that you want from this. Like that's is perfect. Yep, it's a great cover. It's one of those that's like we talk about. It's kind of stuck in this era. I got it in in 2012, which was random and weird but as did I yeah um, yeah but again you talked about it this this whole encore how many times do we see a, a final encore where with no song played more than a hundred times that's ridiculous nothing that I've ever seen yeah and I mean obviously there's only one original song here but 
Uh, fucking up is played 71 times and 36 at the time. Know Your Rights yeah. had only been played 10 times. Pushing Your Girl had been played 15 times. So yeah, this is not your everyday type of thing. That means they they are trying to put out a statement without really doing anything too overtly political because they are doing Bush Leaker, yeah. but they're not. This isn't Bush Leaker with shtick. This isn't Bush Leaker with masks or sequin jackets or any of the theatrics. This is just playing Bush Leaguer, and they yeah. did it, I believe, at one of the other shows that they did starting this uh, this leg. And I think it was the same exact thing. After Nassau Coliseum, I don't think they wanted to, maybe Ed and, and Jeff did, considering what they uh, what they talked about when it, when it came to this song, but poking the bear on this one wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do. But it gets a good reaction. You know, it's a good rendition of it. Mike gets a lot of good moments of it. I, I think when whenever we do talk about the song, we, we tend to talk about more of the theatrics and more of the protest moments from it but i think in this version we can kind of more talk about the the performance wise definitely and he he kind of goes off on the make a change thing too at the end which i thought was really cool and again this is a stone thing you you, you hear stone on that acoustic guitar just it's perfect really really good and then we get a song that i don't know how long it's been since we've covered fucking up but it's been a very 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 long time since we've done it properly and maybe i i know that they did it at the bridge school one of those late years they did it at the bridge school because i remember ed saying that he he said to neil hey can 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 we play this like is it appropriate to play it in front of the kids and Neil's like yeah sure it's part of the curriculum the kids fuck up of course and uh, of course it's their nod to Neil you you mentioned it before that they had a nod to the atmosphere of the bridge school setting and and ending with fucking up instead of rocking in the free world feels appropriate for that think this is closed a show last song because when i think of this song when i think of this song i think of live on two legs and this is the last song on live on two legs and i think Mm -hmm. that out of most of the songs that are on that record i think that daughter made a big impact on me i think corduroy i think red mosquito but fucking up made a really big impact on me because i had this record probably since it came out back in 98 where I was really starting to figure all this stuff out and 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 listening to songs that's how I got my songs that weren't on ten or yield at the time that's how I knew some of the vitality songs that's how I knew some of the no code songs I think the hell hell version from that I I, I think I, I can I can remember it in my sleep but I always go back to thinking live on two legs I always think of that fucking up version that that that, uh, that went on that that compilation yeah it's great, and I'm cheating. I'm, I'm looking at live footsteps now. I, 
it's been, you know, you mentioned fucking up. It's been played, I think, 71 times at this point. I would have thought it would have closed 30 or 40 shows, but according to this, it's only 14, which I think yeah. is low. Yeah, I thought so, too. Yeah. I thought so, too, especially because of what I just said, just closing that, yeah. that album. And and for a lot of people that didn't, and, and I was too young to really understand the, the bootleg trading game, and when I was 12, when, when Yield came out, so it, it, it wasn't really... No excuse. No, no, no look, I... <laughs> if I understood the weight of it, I, I don't think I'd even been to a concert that you know outside of the Eagles by the time I was twelve. So I, yeah, I don't think yeah. it really mattered. But I think that just knowing what they were doing live and knowing that the people that I was talking to about the record would talk about going to see them and talk about the importance of seeing them and knowing that at the time that other people thought that highly of them I think was was important so I think when you're 13 years old a song called fucking up is going to stick with you because mm-hmm. there aren't I mean I mean half the songs that are out there right now are probably called fucking up but fucking up back in, in 1998 is uh that's that's kind of that's kind of racy like that's kind of like oh shit like actually used yeah, uh, some profanity to it yeah. Right, right, right. Why do I? And, and it's funny because that Neil Young is one of my dad's artists. So you know, if he if he hears me listen to that and he says something to me, I can be like, "Well, you listen to it, so are you not allowed to listen." So, uh, but all just well done. Political songs, controversial songs, kind of end the night, and it's a great transition from what he was talking about in Porch to what he wants to get out, the point he wants to get across. And I remember there have been points where they played fucking up, and he said this one's for for George Bush because uh, he always asks the question, why do I keep fucking up? So I, I wonder if that if he just doesn't mention that, but that's something that he's thinking of in the back of his head. Yeah, so. There we are at the end of the set. We have done it. We have covered another show. And now we got to think of three songs and really two that aren't Crazy Mary to say how much we, we love from this show. Yeah, it's uh, not difficult. There, there are a lot of, a lot of good moments at the show. Uh, my number three, I'll say Insignificance. Very good ending. I talked about the Cameron moment. The drum fill just really elevated it for me. Uh, daughter, number two. The two Tom Waits tags I thought were very appropriate, done very well, and a cool moment. And then, yeah, Crazy Mary, number one, no surprise. I'm going to go number three. I really like this version of You Are. I thought this version of You Are just sounded exceptional. Nothing out of the ordinary except from it just kind of the solo kind of building at the end, just getting progressively louder. Really enjoyed that aspect of it. It really felt tense. It felt like it built to something. Uh, and then Thumbing My Way. I thought Thumbing My Way was phenomenal. Uh, not just the performance, but the placement of it and kind of how you you sort of needed that come down after that huge streak of 90 songs. You get that and it kind of sinks you in for the rest of the show. I think it did that perfectly. And then Crazy Mary is number one with the bullet because of everything that we had mentioned before. The duel is wonderful. It, to John, it's the best. To me, it's it's top top three probably. I love Grand Rapids. I don't want to take anything away from the Grand Rapids version, and I'd probably have to go and listen to those back-to-back, which which might happen if, if we happen to do this for an Evolution episode. It might happen that way, so we'll, we'll have to see, but uh, yeah, this is within the realm of best Crazy Marys of all time, which is important. Okay, let's put a rating on it for this week. What do you think this show is rated? 
solid eight. It's got some really good moments. It doesn't have some of the classic, classic stuff that it needed to like get over the hump into like the upper echelon of shows, but nothing wrong with it. Liked listening to it a lot. Really good moments. One of my favorite performances of all time. Eight. I don't even know why I have to say anymore. I had the same exact score from the beginning, from the minute I ended this. I said this is a solid eight show, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. And 2003, I don't think you get much past further down than eight. I don't think there's a lot of like sevens and 7.5. So uh, this is this is right hitting hitting right in the sweet spot for 2003. Absolutely. Well done. Thank you, Ryan, for requesting this. I, I always love getting the shows that aren't on our radar. That's that's all Absolutely. I got to say. Yeah, thanks, and if you're part of Patreon, you get the opportunity to do that. So and uh, of course, for all the people that are there, on Patreon already. If you haven't requested an episode, if you're part of the Giggler or Horizon Leg and you haven't requested an episode yet, please reach out to us. It, I, it's tough to go through who has and who hasn't. I, I know kind of off the top of my head a couple people who have and haven't, but please reach out. It's not difficult. And I know sometimes it's weird to kind of talk to the host of, the, of, uh, of a podcast. It's weird to interact, but I, I promise we only bite a little bit. But if you want something uh, to, to get covered, please reach out to us. We're, we're always, you know, we just want to get everything in and we don't want you guys waiting for a long time because there have been a lot of people that have been waiting for a long time that will get their show done either at the end of this year or in uh, 2022. So uh, before we end the show, I just want to uh, bring up two quick things. Uh, one is a congratulations and one is a condolence. The congratulations go out to uh, our Horizon Leg patron, Nick Smith, who him and his wife just welcomed their uh, brand new baby, Emma, into the world. So congratulations to you guys. Nick has done a lot of great work for Live on Four Lines website, so I figured I'd give him a shout out here. And uh, just wonderful seeing uh, you guys with a brand new family member. So I I just went through it. I know how how tremendous it is. So uh, congratulations to you both. And uh, condolence go out to our friend uh, from Touring Fan Live, Anthony uh, Kershowitz, and he just lost uh, uh, an important family member. And we're we just want to say that that we're thinking about you, Anthony, and we're here for you. We're here for you anytime. All right. Uh, I don't know how to transition out of that, but uh, I guess we got to mention what we're going to do next week. Hey. It's time to go back to Seattle and do the hometown shows. How amazing would it have been if Pearl Jam opened up the Climate Pledge Arena? We could have been talking about that. That could have been one of those, hey, perfectly timed things like Colin Powell that we yeah. could have been talking yeah. about at this time. But unfortunately, that's that's not the case. And the Foo Fighters and Coldplay got to play, and uh, we got a cracking game finally there. Smaller condolences go out to our friend Dukes, who I don't think won the sweepstakes uh, on the goal song. We, uh. I, th- I think it, we, it was a really, really, really good push. I will say that it was a really, really good push, and uh, Porch was in the running. We we had talked. I had talked to some people that I knew up there that I knew from way back when, and he had talked to a couple people. I think he got in touch with the owner's brother, and the owner's brother said, "Oh, that's a great idea. I'll, I'll pass it along." And uh, I th- I think the nod went to a cover of Lithium, which is you know is what it is. But but okay. I get it. So, but uh, next week we will be covering Key Arena 
2013 as part of our hometown series. So that's something that you're into. That's another Patreon request. And that one, again, probably had been waiting for for a while to get to it but i I told him look we're we're doing this whole thing the whole year just hang tight we will get you there we're getting to that one for for drew i believe that one is for drew so all right look head into the website and there'll be more stuff on the website and of course all the stuff that helps us out over at apple Podcasts and following us and subscribing on apple or spotify and uh, giving us a five-star rating that always helps it always makes a difference thank you for for supporting and those of you that continue to be a part of patron and that are a part of the community actually i was going to mention this during the 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 break i was going to mention it but now i forgot we are going to be doing the secret santa again and we're going to be doing another christmas zoom party so look get in touch with us i think it's going to be a little bit easier to do it this year we're going to have it kind of done through our website we're we're working on that where you can kind of uh you know uh, fill out your name and your address and and the links to to the to the the items that that you desire for 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 the secret santa but we'll get you that stuff it's it's not quite done yet but i believe by next episode we will have it done just keep it in mind please reach out if you want to be a part of this so we can get you to the the proper channels and and it's one of the cool things that we've done uh and i i I love doing it last year and i hope that this is a tradition that can stick around for a little bit so get in touch secret santa that'll be coming up and uh yeah it'll be kind of on a time time sensitive because you know the the party will probably be mid-december and everybody wanting to get their gifts somewhere at least before then so they can have it before the party so please reach out if you want to be a part of that outside of that i got nothing to say thank you for tuning into this one Hope to see you there for next week. Key Arena 2013. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. Although we may be parting ways. I miss you already, and I miss you always. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody else. Hey, I don't even know how many people wait till the end of the episode. You probably should. I always play something good at the end. So if you're here, thanks. Hope to see you next week as well. See you then. San Francisco! Number three!
That's to Joe Stromer. We need him more than ever.